Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. So before we have mom light the Shabbat candles and and uh, really signify that entrance into Shabbat, I just want us all to think about how not only are we being read by the Torah, we're getting pressed. I personally feel like I have never in my faith walk experienced such an intimate relationship with the Word like I am right now. Not, not, not Nothing even compares to what we're experiencing as a family together right now. And um, But it's not just the pressure. Like, we're all... We're all going to be walking out an expectation to be able to account for our walk and account for our faith in a way that we can articulate what it is that we're walking out and what the Father is really bringing us into with receiving His instructions. Um, Every week when we go through these Torah portions, we're really gaining not just that experience, but we're gaining understanding and wisdom about the faith that he's calling us to on the narrow path. Meaning there's going to be, as we get deeper and deeper into this, there's going to be confrontations from the system that we just left about what it is that each and every one of you is walking out. So, that's why I asked who read the Torah portion, right? Because if you're not reading the portions, then you're you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot when you come to a Shabbat service and we're diving into the Torah portions because it's also a time to really understand what it is that Yahweh intended and what it is that He's calling us to. And He's putting your face on the original intent. So when you go and interact with people from the old system or whoever, whoever it is that's still under that system that wants to say that you're demonic because of what you're following, right? You're going to have to account for that. So I want the family to understand, like, in addition to the pressure of whatever he's pressing out of you, whatever he's setting you apart from, part of that process is the burden that each and every one of you also has to carry right that's part of expansion it's no no longer are we part of the old system where it was just the pastor's job to carry or defend or whatever right that burden it rests on each and every person in here right like let that sink in nobody's gonna account for your faith besides you Right, so so think about that as we enter into Shabbat. That there's there's an equipping in addition to the pressure. There's also equipping for all of us to be to to have that capacity to account for the faith that we're walking out right now. Amen. So we'll have Mom light the Shabbat candles, and then I believe she's going to summarize the uh, Talit and Tzitzit teaching that we've been getting into over the past two months now. So we'll have mom light the Shabbat candles, enter into his rest, and rest from the pressure, but 
we're also receiving that equipping and that impartation tonight. My face, when I answer that question, how are you doing? It's because I'm still wrecked when Dad called me out last week talking about the cave. So there's kind of, I don't, I don't want to say two hats because it all kind of intermingles, but I'm sure more than just this testimony is out there, but I had said it on Kingdom Airs. I had someone on Shabbat last week say, I'm reading this week's Torah portion. I don't understand it, and I'm weeping. Why? And then you guys saw on Boxer, you know, a son who is just the weight of Yahweh pressing on things. Well, if you remember last week, Dad said that this week there's something different where we're turning a corner. And there was some stands that were made in the spirit. I could feel that release. With that release comes obedience to that release. And then, and, and so, so as soon as, this is for me personally, as soon as that release comes of that word of a father over my life saying, you're not going back in the cave, just that one word alone, the onslaught of, when he's talking about uh, people saying you're, you're, uh, you're entertaining doctrine of demons if you follow the Torah, like I've, I'm so like awake and alive, like I'm not even aware that there's another side to this. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? Like I'm so new in this, like there's been a remnant that's been following this has, that has had to combat that. Well, I just got a taste of it this week of, and obviously my first question is, hold, hold on a second. Are we saying that it's from Satan? To follow his instruction, I'm trying to figure this out. But that is, I mean, that's out there. That if you, you, you will be called a what is the word? Judaizer. Judaizer. Um, you're you're deceived. You are leading people away from Christ because you are um, under that that he did away with all that all the stuff that we know. I just got out of a system, and it was like as soon as he released, come out of the cave. I didn't realize that coming out of the cave to say if I was even to just publicly say I'm Torah observant or I, this is what I've been awakened to, that the onslaught is, does that make sense? Like, of course, on a personal level, I've seen the onslaught. I've, I have family, you know, I've got people that don't understand it or that, you know, they'll say things, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily recognize that. So when he's talking about accounting for, for your faith, there, that's very real. At the same time, like I said last week, the passion to get into the word and untwist it to absolute completion, that that stuff, while it's, I don't, I don't want to say it doesn't affect me, but while those things are out there, pushes me into, through that Hebraic mindset, to be able to Okay, then let's lean into that to completion. Instead of being like, no, like and, and being all protective of what I stand on and being defensive, I'll actually lean into what it is that they're saying in order to untwist to act to to stand on my convictions even stronger. For for example, this is just this is a simple thing. Uh, I don't think I brought this up last week, but Peter, you guys know that in um is it in Acts? Peter has the vision? Is that an axe? He has the vision about unclean and clean. 
interprets the vision in the scriptures. It is not about food. He interprets the scripture in the scripture. He interprets what it's about. Not I, I could go into a whole teaching. Because even if it was about food, I can still say that there's a whole thing there about clean and unclean. We could we could dissect it. There there are doctors, theologian doctors that will blast these books and thesis and that will the the title says uh peter's vision is about food now it's hard because you start to read it and this is a theologian this is a doctor i mean they've got they've got names behind their names behind their names behind their names and they know the other doctors and and so you so then so you this is what you got to stand firm on your conviction yahweh showed me something so I'm going to lean into all of this stuff and then actually be able to utilize that to untwist it to be able to stand on a conviction. So, does that make sense? So when he says, are you all right? There's just this squeezing of being so passionate. Remember what last week I said, like everyone needs to hear. Like these scriptures are coming alive like they never have before. Everything is making sense. And everything ties together. And of course, right away, the enemy is going to be after to steal, kill, and destroy all of that so that you can go back to a system or so that you can fall trapped to some things and, and start to question or be in this land of confusion, right? It, 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 it feels like I've heard the term, um, the grace is lifted. It's like, it, it's as if there's, there's no room to, there's no room anymore for the confusion. We're, we're yeah. there, but yeah. now you've got to do the work to be able to to stand on that, yeah. if, that if, if that makes sense. So anyways, yeah. I just wanted to answer why I was like, ah! um, I am, I am going to, so yes, I'm going to teach, I'm going <laughs> to, you guys, it's, this tonight's going to be crazy because I feel like. Well, first of all, let me say this. Tonight's Torah portion is the cornerstone of the gospel. Last week was the foundation to the gospel. This Torah portion, portion is the cornerstone of the gospel. Paul says that. Paul references this Torah portion as the cornerstone, cornerstone of the gospel. So you can already see the tie from the Old Testament to the renewed covenant that Paul says this is the cornerstone of the gospel. So then to be in a system that causes confusion, to say that none of this even matters, know about it. It's a good historical, you know, our forefathers are good to have history versus recognizing that it is the foundation and the cornerstone for all that's that came and then all that's to come. So, um, so we're going to, so there's a, a ton of things we're going to get into because tonight is the cutting of the covenant. It's the ceremony of everything that he said, I want to establish all the promises happens in this chapter to be able to move forward in in the for the rest of for the for the rest of the story so tonight's a big night but i do want to talk a little bit about the talit before we read the torah portion because i feel like tonight will be our last night in the teaching of the talit what that means is is that if we end tonight then it will really be on each individual to continue in pressing in about the talit for when yahweh presses on you to receive one use one or continue to study in it if that makes sense versus it being on a friday night so there was one more aspect that i wanted to bring forward 
And we've kind of already touched on this, but I just want to make sure that I'm kind of rounding everything off. So we've talked about authority. We've talked about it being a reminder. We've talked about what it means. Um, so one of the other aspects that I wanted to bring is that the color and the fabric mean something. So the color of the tallit has everything to do with royalty. And the fabric has everything to do with uh, priesthood and, and essentially holiness. And so um, there's an aspect that when I talk about royalty and holiness, sometimes the mindset can be, okay, so if I wear it, then I'll be more spiritual. And that is not what that is. What it is, is it's setting you apart. So it's not if I use this, I become more spiritual versus not using it, but it's more of an avenue of setting you apart. Setting you apart and then others to see that you are a set-apart people. Does that make sense? So when you, when you adorn yourself with the, with the um, things that say, I am of a royal priesthood, it's not so that I can become one. It's because I am one, and it's showing my identity through that. Does that make sense? So I don't want it to be used to obtain something, but used because you have something, and it's setting you apart. All right? Amen. Now, why should you engage the priesthood? This is why this is super important, because when I say that you're a royal priesthood, it's not to just tickle your ears so you can be amazing. Being a priest, if you follow after our elder brother, if he is the high priest, what is he? He is the mediator between his father and the people. So when you take on the royal priesthood, you have now become a selfless being in your royalty because you become the, me the mediator between Yahweh and the nations. So it's not for personal gain, but it's to understand as a, as a priest that you become the, me the mediator. Does that make sense? Uh, and, and, and it's talked about all over, all the way from Exodus, all the way to the renewed covenant. You will be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. So this is the activation or one way to activate that instead of just claiming it and naming it and saying amen, but really understand, well, what is a royal priesthood? We say that through Yeshua that we will be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Well, what is a royal priesthood? Well, we've talked about the, that before, that the, the foundation of that is sonship. But for what? Unto what? To become kings and priests. So, the tzitzit, the tallit, it's to remind us of who we are, whose we are, and what sets us apart. It's, um, it, it, we've talked about how it uh, has authority behind it, because all over where Yeshua, they wanted to touch the fringe. That's what it's talking about. There's, there's power and authority in it. It represents priesthood and holiness. So, what it does when you wear it is it puts you in a role. Not that you're not always in that role, right? You are a holy nation. You are, you're, you're always a son. But when you wear it, it's setting you apart and it's saying, I'm taking on a role. If, if that's one way to say it, it's, it's part of that identity of being able to say, I'm putting on a role. And in that role will depend on my obedience to fulfill that role. 
So it's a way to, so just one concept of it is to remember his commandments so that you can be obedient to be able to fulfill the role that he's called you because it also is identity, right? You're not just putting it on so you can like have a shield and be protected. Yes, but you're to be protected so that you can be obedient so that you can remember so that you'll fulfill a role. It, it's all, it's all of that. I mean, that's, that's a garment, right? There's identity behind a garment and to remember that what we wear affects our behavior. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the natural. If you're wearing a swimsuit, you're going to be out in the sun and you're going to be swimming. If you're wearing a sweater, it's probably snowing, right? I mean, what you wear affects, affects your behavior. It affects your environment. It means something. If you're wearing a football sweatshirt, you're probably going to be more like, I don't know. Am I making sense? Yeah. If I wear a workout outfit, it's for a purpose. Yeah. If I'm dressed up, I'm in a different... I'm not going to be doing squats in a dress. You know, if I'm if I'm wearing loungewear, I'm not going to a fancy restaurant. Like what this is normal stuff what we wear, it affects our behavior. If I'm wearing a fancy dress, I mean don't don't quote me. Dwayne knows how fancy I can be. But I'm probably going to not be as maybe but you know what I mean? You're going to have more etiquette than if you were just lounging around. It's what you wear affects your behavior. It's the same thing as the concept of wearing like an ethical string around your finger or like a military uniform, right? There's authority and allegiance behind the military uniform. We've talked about that. How we present ourselves, how we present ourselves. So not only what do we wear affects our behavior, how we present ourselves is going to show our affections towards Yahweh, right? So how we, how we present ourselves is a reflection of who he is. So the concept of secret time or wearing a tallit or anything like that is to be able to make sure that we are taking the time to reflect who he is to the world. Okay? Um, I'm just going to read this. Uh, I wrote it down. It's 1 Peter 2, 9, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. So with all of that, it's, it's proclaiming my allegiance that I can say everything that he's done is excellent in my life. He's called me out of darkness, brought me into light, and that is why I can walk in power, authority, um, remembering who he is. So it's a real, it's all the way from a place of humility. I just need to remember. I just need to remember what he said all the way to, I'm a mediator for the nations. <laughs> We're not even close to Exodus but it makes me think of that place that we're, we haven't even talked about yet but that place of ascension and who is it that we're dining with to be able to do his work on his behalf and declare things in his name yeah. like don't we're, we're in a very foundational place of a new system, but this system will open us up to the mysteries and the mystical side of things that he says, I want my people to know. 
The whole reason why we all woke up out of a system was because we declared and decreed and got on our face and nothing changed. So he's teaching us, not us, but he's teaching the body in the new era that there is a different way to administrate his kingdom. That is not all battlefield and getting that python, but that there is a way to ascend and actually work with the guides and the tutors and those that are in the kingdom and be able to be someone that is able to, um, I don't have, I don't have the right word. I feel like chancellor is the word that's coming to my mind. Is that the right word? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know the exact definition. I say that because last week we were introduced to a being, and this is the second being that we've been introduced to that just kind of was and then wasn't. He didn't introduce us to him for like a good Bible teaching. He introduced us to him because he wants us to engage who he is. And if he happens to be, if I just say this, I didn't teach on it, but if he happens to be the gate person to all of Yahweh's possessions, if he is the king that is the, the orchestrator of all of his possessions, we might want to know who he is. And could we spend the rest of our lives, just like we got to know Python, could we spend just as much time knowing the scent and the feel of who Melech Zadok is, that we would hear the whispers of who, what Yahweh is saying, now saying, daughter, decree it. And I actually decree what he says, not what man should say, or what the enemy wants us to say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Listening to his instructions is the gateway to listening to his voice, to opening us up to an era we have not yet seen or heard. Yeah. Amen? So this is what gets so exciting because it's like we're just that we're just we're just I don't know there's just there's just yeah we're like scratching the surface maybe. yeah it's definitely scratching the surface but it just makes me I feel like I could just be like okay let's stop let's just teach on the mountain because <laughs> there's so many things that we don't I, I mean when we uh, even when we talk when we when I'm talking about the mountain we talk about Moshe, we always say he ascended. But but it wasn't just him. There was 70. Right. They saw some things. Right. Right. And they did some things. Could we be in that up here place? And would we be ones chosen to do it? Because not everyone was a leader to be called up to a place to see some things from a different perspective. And the ones that did not get called up were the ones that fell to idolatry. So, but how do you get up? Yeah. It's going to be the ones who are chosen and the ones who are obedient because they were chosen. And they were chosen because they were obedient and they followed his ways. Yeah. You don't follow his ways, you're not going up. You're going to end up making some golden calves. Yeah. So this, this is unto something. So I want us to get excited because there's purpose in this. Even when I'm talking about the Talit, to remember, for me, not that I'm remembering for a thing, but I remember because if, I, if I'm not, then I, I'm not able to be approved as a mediator. I mean, that is, that is a role to be taken seriously. Our elder brother is the high priest. When we get into it, we begin to learn the whole Levitical priesthood. We're going to understand what they had to do on behalf of the people. And you are called to do that on behalf of the people. I'm talking holy of holies. In a different priesthood. 
But there is an order. It says after the order of Melech Zadok, not free for all, just come into the holy place so you can yeah. get what you want. There is an order and a kingdom order, and we are called to follow in that. But the access that you have, <laughs> amen? amen, makes you want to wear a tallit. Just kidding. Um, all right, I'm getting into the Torah portions. Uh, cutter, <laughs> you get to read the cutting of the covenant. So come on up here. Do you do you have your word or do you need mine? Okay, I need mine. All right, so if everybody wants to stand up, Cutter's going to read our Torah portion today, tonight. Oh, you got it? Um, and then after he's done reading, we'll get our communion elements, and then we will take communion. After these things, the word of Adonai came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, My lord Adonai, what will you give me? Since I am living without children, and the heir to my of my household is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no seed, so a house-born servant is my heir. Then, behold, the word of Adonai came to him, saying, This one will be will not be your heir, but in fact, one who will come from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up now at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said, he said to him, So shall be your seed, your seed be. Then he believed in Adonai, and he re-reckoned, re-reckoned it to him as right, righteousness. Then he said to him, I am Adonai, who brought you out of your of the Chaldeans, in order to give you this land to inherit it. So he said, My lord Adonai, how will I know that I will inherit it? Then he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old young cow with a three-year-old she-goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young bird. So he brought all these to him and cut them in half and put each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. Then the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. When the sun was about to set, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. Behold, terror of great darkness was following was falling upon him. Then he said to Abraham, Know for certain that your seed will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they will be enslaved and oppressed for four hundred years. But I am going to judge the nation that they will serve they will serve. Afterward, they will go out with many possessions. But you, you will come to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of Aramites is not yet complete. When the sun set and it became dark, behold, there was a smoking of, an, of a fiery torch that passed between the pieces. 
On the day Adonai cut a covenant with Abraham, saying, I give this land to your seed, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the Kenite, the Kiznites, the Kamenites, the Hittites, the Pezerites, the Rephites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Regrashites, and the Jebusites. Um, as we engage in communion tonight, um, last week we talked about being a turning point and the family turning a corner. And Mom alluded to this Torah portion being the cornerstone of the gospel. And there's an arcing happening with the new covenant in Ephesians 2.20 when it talks about Yeshua being the cornerstone. So there's a connection there. And as we um, partake of his body and you say that this Torah portion is written on your heart, just understand that there's something happening in our lives that we're beginning to... to it's beginning to be imparted in, into our DNA as we take part of this with that understanding that this is the gospel. This is the cornerstone. It's not something that's been done away with. And it's arcing with Yeshua himself. So just think about that. And when you're ready, partake of him and just say that this Torah portion is being written on my heart. And then with your wine or your juice, just understanding that this is his blood, and, and we're going to get into it, but when you say it is established, that it's greater than what the system we exited could ever understand about communion and covenant, that something deeper is being imparted. All right. There is about eight sermons <laughs> in tonight. So... You ready? Okay. Um, there, I mean, there's, there's, there's just, there. I mean, when I say eight sermons, I'm talking. I could, I could preach on the vultures all just tonight. I mean, just one sentence, and I could, we could talk about some vultures in our lives and what you've got to do to. Anyway, there's a lot. Um, but I'm going to read First uh, John 2, 4 through 5. I'm just going to start with this. Um, I'll start with verse 3. Now we know that we have come to know him by this, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him, the love of God is truly made perfect. We know that we are in him by this. Whoever claims to abide in him must walk just as he walked. I feel like I've read that scripture my entire Christian life. And it's not an arbitrary concept of what, what this means. And the reason why I'm laying this as a backdrop is because I will always release the scriptures in a twofold way. There's the vertical and there's the lateral. So I'm going to go very extreme in one way, and it can usually prompt, if you're one-dimensionally minded or Greek mindset, and it can be one or the other, what happens is if I say it's all Yahweh, immediately 
if you're thinking from that lens, you'll take that as, well, yeah, and I don't have a role, right? But I'm not saying it from that lens. So I'll go, I'm going to go all the way down and show how it, it is all Yahweh. And have the same lens that because it's all Yahweh, it is all Abraham. But if you're one-dimensional or Greek-minded and I say it's all Abraham, you're going to go, oh, how dare you? Of course God's a part of this. So I will always bring both things because both things are what makes it a whole okay does that make sense mm -hmm. um and so that's the reason why i start with that because we have a role in this because you are not basically um now i can't remember what i what i just read but you're not you you're you're not necessarily revealing who he is or he's not truly in you or you're a liar if you're not following him so you obviously have a role but it's all him that empowers you to be able to walk like him. Okay, so we're going to get back to that scripture when we break down some stuff. Ellen, you're going to love tonight. Because we are going to talk about works and faith. And how many of us have gotten that completely messed up without, work, without works? Faith is dead. And yet... Abram was completely made righteous without having to be obedient. How does this work? How can one time Paul say it is all about faith and you can do nothing, right? I mean, just read Hebrews or Galatians when he's trying to speak to the Jews to be like, no, it's all the Messiah. But then you, you, if you're, if you're one, you'll read that one book and be like, oh, see, it's done away with. It's all one dimensional. That's just one aspect so then there's the other aspect where you can, you know, so, am, am I making sense when I say that? So it's like, you got faith and works. Well, I feel like we're going to, this chapter kind of breaks it down. What is faith? What is works? How do you have faith and be declared righteous, but then not have works, but then it's not by your works? Does anybody else get that all twisted up? How can I be completely obedient, but then know it's all him and then not pendulum swing and not get confused? We're going to, we're going to get unconfused a little bit tonight, okay? Um, so we're going to go over that. We're going to go over the vultures. I, I hope by the end of the night, you absolutely fall in love with your father. And when I say father, I'm talking about Abram. That you walk away understanding who has been given to you, who was chosen out of all of the bloodlines, what he did with it, and how he walked. Just as emotional as all of you guys can get, that dad can be honored by a professor because of five years of work, that, that Abraham was a, is, was a man that held on to a promise for 25 years and never wavered for 25 years because he believed, which we're going to get after why that's the cornerstone of the gospel, because he believed and it was counted to him that he was made fully righteous in that belief. What kind of belief? The kind of belief that says you don't get what you want, you don't get what Yahweh promises you for 25 years and you're still made righteous because you believe in his word. Hmm. That kind of faith, that we would fall in love with, with, with a father that can lead us by example in the beginning of how to do all of this. Okay? Um, 
I am going to actually start with that. So let's just go to Galatians. I don't know if you guys can tell, but it feels to me, remember we kind of broke down the greatest lie ever told and we just barely tapped into the renewed covenant. We kind of got into some Acts stuff and we got into Paul a little bit, but I feel like everything that the Torah does is point us to the renewed covenant. So every time I read Torah, it just opens me up to what Paul was saying. And so I keep getting woken up again in being in alive in some of these books that have been super confusing because he's quoting what I'm reading now. So I'm like, oh, that's not at all what you were saying. It was actually quite the opposite. I mean, Peter, I think it's Peter, warns us, you will be deceived by Paul. You will use his teachings for your own good. And that is for your own, well, yeah, for your own personal good, but for your kingdom detriment. That is a preface before anything that Paul comes up, comes up with. Anyways, when you read Paul, after reading what, he, what he's referencing, it like untwists everything that he's saying. So let's read, um, I'm going to do Galatians 3, <clears throat> 6 through 9. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did Cutter just read? Paul is talking about something he knew about. He's talking about that Torah portion. Know then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. The reason why I'm bringing this up, and I think he's going to touch on it, but there, there, there is theological uh, doctrine that will say all of the covenants of the, of the Bible are separate. That he had to replace the, I can't say it, the Abrahamic, 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 covenant with the mosaic then the times changed and then he had to do the davidic covenant then the times changed and then we had the messiah the renewed covenant but can anybody tell me what the renewed covenant is just real quick what is the renewed covenant that every covenant previous would be inside of us that's it it's the only thing that that covenant promises, that everything that the Father has, you now have access to, you Gentiles, you scattered whores. <laughs> the ones that broke away, the ones that did not follow, has access to everything I have to offer, and it will be inside of you. That Your stone heart will be replaced with flesh. That's what the Messiah did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the covenant. So it doesn't make any sense to say that there's all these separate covenants. Okay. But then it makes sense that Paul is going back to the original intent. He doesn't talk about the Davidic covenant. I mean, he'll talk about where Yeshua came from, but he's giving credit to the foundation, the the cornerstone. Okay, let's keep going. Um, The scriptures, the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith proclaimed the good news to Abraham in advance, saying, all the nations shall be blessed through you. You were in his mind when he spoke to the Father, because if it wasn't for Abraham, we wouldn't have the Messiah. 
Because it was through his seed and his bloodline that would allow the promise that came to Hava that said, your seed will crush the enemy. How is your seed, Eve, going to crush the enemy if it's that far away? Well, generations and a son is going to have to carry it. Or it doesn't come to fruition. So he foreknew that all the nations were going to be blessed through you. How dare us say that's a Jew thing? And count yourself out to the very blessing. While we claim Deuteronomy, you are the head and not the tail. That's his blessing. You want it, you be his son. You can't not be his son and say that's a Jew thing and then still claim to be the head and not the tail. Okay. All the nations shall be blessed through you. So then, the faithful are blessed along with Abraham, the faithful one. How powerful is that? Galatians. Okay. Let's get into the Torah portion. So like I said, my heart is, is that we would fall in love with this father. Now, I want to give a little bit of some, um, I don't know when this is going to come out, but I want to kind of give a timeline. We are in chapter 15, which is cutting of the covenant. When was, uh, when was Avram uh, promised? Genesis chapter, do you guys remember? 12. He had the promise, you're going to leave your land and all nations will be blessed through you. That was the initial promise in chapter 12. It's pretty much the first time we were introduced to him. And he was told to leave his father's house, leave his family, leave idolatry, and go to the land I'm going to give you. That was the promise. We're in chapter 15. It's a little muddy because we don't know until chapter 16 that 10 years has gone by. So just for reference, once we get to chapter 16, we're talking 10 years. So let's just say at this point, we're almost at the 10-year mark. Can you imagine being told, leave your family, go to a place, and all of your descendants is going to do this, this, and this, and 10 years later, his wife still doesn't have a kid. We're at the 10-year mark, okay? So just kind of, now, let me, I'll just say this now. After this chapter, another, <laughs> meaning everything in chapter 12 was awesome. Now he's got to walk it out. We're 10 years down the road. He's still walking it out. After this amazing chapter, where an actual ratification covenant ceremony happens, another 15 years passes by before they get pregnant. That's crazy. So, we have some big shoes to fill. Okay. Um, all right. In this Torah portion, there's a couple of firsts. I feel like that's been happening, uh, so I keep looking for it. Uh, I'm looking for patterns. Some of the first that happened this Torah portion is the first time we see the word believe. Super foundational to our faith. Because that's what we have to do. We have to believe in the Messiah. What does Revelation say? How do you get into the kingdom? You're going to obey my commandments. You're going to know his name. That means you have to, you have to believe. What does the word believe? What does, that, what does that mean? We're going to kind of break that down a little bit. But it's the first time we, we see the word believe in this Torah portion. It's also the first time we see the word righteous in the sense of it not being a name. Obviously, Malek Zadok, we were introduced to the person of righteousness. But this time, this Torah portion, we receive the word of what righteousness means. It's also the first chapter that we see Adonai be used. Now, um, 
there's a couple things that are super powerful. I, I just brought up Galatians and Paul, but four times the actual scriptures in this Torah portion are used in the renewed covenant all throughout, mostly Romans, um, where it talks about those who believe are unto righteousness. Those who believe are unto right. It's quoted several times in the renewed covenant. So this is super powerful for us to understand the foundation, for us to understand what they were even talking about. If you don't understand this, then you're reading it out of context. Hmm. What does believe unto righteousness mean if you don't understand what believing unto righteousness means? Because this is what they were quoting when they were saying that. All right? The other thing that's super powerful is the uh, Adonai Yahweh was used the first time here. What's powerful about this pattern is it's associated with the promise of a son. When this name is used, it is in association with the promise of a son, and you're going to see it over and over again later on when we get into the prophets. Psalms uses it a lot, but it's always in context to covenant and a son. So super powerful. Uh, Adonai. Adonai Yahweh is used in reference... Um, a lot, and it and it is always associated with the sun and covenant. Essentially, Adonai means master. And English has a really hard time. Certain translations has a hard time. Um, you know how you have capital L O R D, and then you have capital L O R D. The whole thing is caps. It's basically the word is Lord Lord is Adonai Yahweh. When it's in English, when you don't see it in, in this in this text, it'll be Lord, Lord, um, with like all caps and lower caps, because it's basically saying um, Master Yahweh. It, it's proclaiming He's He's the Master, but it's a it's like a it's a personal Master, and it's always associated with covenant and a son. So, um, all right, I'm trying to think of where I want to go first. I get the first thing that's just a kind of a simple thing that we can see. The chapter starts off with after these things. Now, we just got done talking about a huge warfare last week, right? So, after these things, we can see why Avram probably was fearful. I mean, they might come back after him. I mean, he just, he just, he just won, you know. I mean, so he's, he's super vulnerable to the, the politics of the land. And it's just, it's really powerful for me to see that Yahweh himself gave a word. That, that the power of the word, it, 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 he came with, I mean, there's so many times he shows up. He shows up in visions, he shows up in dreams, he shows up in different ways all over the, all over the scriptures. But he came with a word. And then, super powerful, I am your shield. Not, I'm going to give you a shield or I'm going to protect you, or I'm going to give you something else that will shield you. But literally myself, I am, am your shield. Just a super powerful uh, word to, to hold on to. And then I am your great reward. I mean, just that alone. When you're in fear to be able to hear his word, I am your shield and I am your uh, great reward. And we're going to see really, really quickly that this is not just temporal obviously he was scared on earth 
I am your shield. I am your great reward. And then immediately it goes into the eternal things. Because he starts talking about his son. So it's both. It's both temporal and it's also eternal. All right. Um, I want to... Let's just talk about this. Um, I want to talk a little bit about... Now, this is my personal commentary. I've read several commentary that says that um, Avraham had the ability to doubt. And so that's why he was questioning Yahweh. I don't read it that way. Um, let, me, let me explain why. He's... To me, especially when he goes down to um, okay, when you go down to verse eight, obviously Yahweh uh, tells him how it's going to happen. Go down to verse eight, my Lord Adonai, how will I know that I will inherit it? I don't read that like he's going, and how am I going to know? Like. Like, I'm doubting everything you just said. Here's why I say this. Can I also help us to understand that we also have to see through the filter of Moshe? Because he wrote this. There is so much to engage. <laughs> because you're, you're being introduced to a father, but, but Moshe, who's writing it, and they're all alive. Okay, the reason why I say that is because obviously Abram believed in chapter 12. He obviously had faith in chapter 12. He left, he obeyed, he did what he was supposed to do. He heard the promises. Why would he now 10 years later be like, well, how are you going to do it? Because he was already walking knowing he was going to do it. Moshe chose to, to have that line in this Torah portion, specifically with this Torah portion, he believed and it was counted to him righteousness. Why? Right? Because he obviously didn't all of a sudden believe. Does that, does that make He believed yeah. in chapter 12. Yeah. So there's something that is, is powerful in verse 6 where it says, then he believed in Adonai and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Not like, oh, cool, you answered my question. Now I believe. Because he, he obviously believed. So what I want to point out, the way that I read this, is that there is this intimacy that we get to see in this conversation with him. It's not a, well, I, I you know, um, what, what are you going to give me? I'm without children. Um, to me, he's asking, how are you going to do this? Not, are you going to do this? Does that, does that make sense? He's not saying... Well, I, I, I doubt you, and I are, are you going to do this? He's saying, I don't understand how are you going to fulfill your word. That's very different than, than someone who says, I don't know if you're going to fulfill your word, or doubt in that way. It was a how question. How are you going to do this? So then, so then um, even in verse 8, my Lord Adonai, how will I know that I will inherit it? He's asking him, how are you going to... How are you going to, how am I going to know that it's my inheritance? How? 
right? It's not a, is this my inheritance? Hmm. Well, how do I, it, it's, a, it's a, how are you going to show me this? So to me, right in the middle of this intimate conversation, that powerful statement, which is the foundation of this entire Torah portion, is, and then he, or then he believed in Adonai, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Okay? The reason why I'm saying that this is intimate is I want you to place yourself in the scriptures if you're talking to him and asking him about a promise that you know he's going to fulfill. You're not asking him if he's going to. You're not asking him, I don't think you're going to. You're asking him, how are you going to do this? And then he took him outside. I mean, this is how real our relationship is with Yahweh. Have any of you guys been inside your secret place and you're saying, how are you going to do this? And he goes, come with me. Come down the street. Let me show you, let me show you, let me show you this. Let me show you this one part. Let me show you this neighborhood. Let me show you. He takes them outside. Look up now at the sky and count them. If you're able to count, if you're able to count them, they said, so shall your seed be. That seed is very literal. It means descendant. It doesn't mean, it, it, it means your seed. To me, that is an, we are, we are being taken into a very intimate conversation, not a combative. Does it, you know, like I don't get the feeling from this that he's got doubt in his heart. He's trying to gain access to try to figure out, well, how, how is this all going to work? Give me some details to this promise. And Yahweh does. To me, I think that that is super intimate that he takes him outside to show him the stars. Not just a lofty concept, but they were talking and walking with one another. And so when he's asking him, well, how, how do I know I'm going to inherit this? To me, I'm seeing a real intimate conversation there, not, not, a, not a, a doubtful conversation. I'm not seeing, let me say this, I'm not seeing someone who isn't royal, who isn't righteous, Weeping and saying, why? And demanding and saying, you said, and getting angry and getting bitter and then, and then, or doubting all together and getting confused. I'm seeing an intimate, submissive, powerful man walking out a promise and then saying, give me the details to this promise. Amen? Okay. Um, And then, like I said, Moshe decides to say, out of all this, he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He, like I, he didn't just decide to believe because he walked him outside. He's been believing. So there's something about that statement that is super powerful because it's connected to him telling him that a son is coming. Yes, Isaac, but yes, the Messiah. You, you have to see what we're arcing with. If this is the cornerstone of the gospel, why did he believe and it was counted to him as righteous for his own gain that he was going to get Isaac? Or because he was telling him in, in, um, in relationship that it will be by a seed that the enemy will be crushed. If he was able to look out at the stars, he wasn't saying, and Isaac is right there. He wasn't even talking about Isaac. I mean, he was. But again, it's all, it's all, um, 
it's all connected. You have, you have the promise over Eve that said your seed. Then now we've got Abraham. He's saying your seed. And then it's going to continue with Moshe. And then it's going to continue with David. And then it's going to continue with coming with of the Messiah. So there's something powerful that Moshe is understanding here by saying that he was counted righteous because he believed in the promise of his son. Now you understand what Paul's talking about when he says you will be counted righteous when you believe in the son, which is the Messiah. But you have to understand the foundation of what that meant. Because to, to, because to him, it was so real. Because another 15 years is going to go by, by, by before he even sees the promise. What faith did he need when he was... Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we are on this side of salvation. Right. How easy do we have it? Yeah. We're on this side of salvation. Abraham's the father of all of it. He's the father of salvation. He had to birth it and he had to wait for it. And he had to see something and he had to do it because he saw you. Okay. Oh my gosh. We're not, we're, we just have so much. Okay. I do want to, I want to break this down with believed uh, and righteousness. So I'm going to just give the definitions of believed and righteousness. And then we're going to talk about one thing and then we're going to move into faith. Um, the word for, well, first let's do reckoned. I don't know why, but I do not understand that word. I think I had to ask him a hundred times, what does reckoned mean? And I had to look it up in dictionaries. I looked it up on Blue Letter Bible and it still just wasn't computing. Like what is so powerful about, and he believed and reckoned it to him righteousness. What does that mean? What is he saying? Okay, so let's break it down. So the word reckoned, one way to say it would be he declared him. He calculated everything and basically counted it to him. He imputed it to him. It was considered. He made him. It's another way. To, he, made, he made it. He made him. He assigned him righteousness. He gave him righteousness. He credited it to, it to him. Basically, he made a judgment. And in that judgment, but the point is, is but to what? It just means make a judgment. That's what reckoned means. So then make a judgment of what? I broke it down in the Hebrew because that was an easier way for me to kind of understand it. And it's het, shin, bait. Basically, what I got from that is that in a covenant, you're going to be set apart. When you're set apart, you're in a house, and in the house, there's pressure. In a covenant, set apart, in a house, there's pressure. If you endure that, you'll be in the running for something. That's what I got from Reckoned. Does that make sense? If you're in the house, you're in covenant, you're enduring the pressure, you are considered or in the running unto something. Abraham was in it and he was in the house, receiving the pressure, set apart, operating in covenant that then attributed him to what? Righteousness. So you have to endure the pressure, you have to be in the house, you have to be set apart in order for you to be judged 
in that judgment, you want to be judged to something. Does that make sense? All right. The definition of righteousness, then, is um, truthful, ethically right, vindicated, justified, prosperous, a ruler and king and just. So this sentence is pretty powerful. I'm going to make a judgment, and out of that judgment, I have decided to, to basically tell you, you are justified, you are vindicated, you are righteous, you are prosperous, you are a king, you are ethically right. So all that whole sentence is given to Abram because he believed. Amen? I mean, that's simple, but that's just the beginning. <laughs> So that's why I'm taking you all the way down this road because it's in he believed in his word and all of that was given to him. Right? Not because he had done anything yet. And I'm going to bring this up again. I brought it up last year. This is pre-circumcision. This is pre-covenant. We're not at the end of the chapter yet. This is pre-obedient to anything. I'll get there. I'm, like I said, I'm going down one path, right? But this is so now when you understand this, you'll understand what Paul was doing when he was talking to the Jews. Because, like I said last week, Abraham is the one that he's able to say, How did Yahweh account him righteousness if he wasn't even circumcised yet? Because he was speaking to the Jews who was saying, Gentiles cannot do it unless they ethically change themselves because they do not have access. Yeah. It does not mean that we get to create a doctrine out of Paul that says that you don't have to be obedient to everything Abraham's about to be obedient to because the reason why he was reckoned righteousness is because he believed in his father and the father began to give him some instructions and he followed in those instructions. But the reason why Paul brings this up is because you also need to understand that the law, when it is given to you, is not going to be your means to salvation. It is not the means to your salvation. It is because of your salvation. You are reckoned righteous when you believe in his word, believe in the son, believe in the covenant. And because of that belief, you will be empowered to do as you see your father doing. But doing what you see your father doing outside of belief is dead. Okay? So you have to be careful when you're reading Paul because you'll be like, see? But he was talking to people that didn't understand about Jew and Gentile. And he did, they did not understand that the, or he was trying to point them in the original intent that Abraham in chapter 12 said, through him all nations will be blessed. He saw that all will have access at some point. Nobody had access until after Yeshua. So he was seeing in the sun way beyond. Okay? But again, he was reckoned righteous prior to everything that's coming. It's, it's super powerful to know, but we also have to know because of that reckoning, because of that righteousness, it equipped him to be able to move forward. Meaning we don't hmm. stop there. Well, yeah. if, 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 if Abraham didn't have to do anything and he was reckoned righteousness and all I have to do is believe, amen. Yeah. That's where we fall short. And that's what's happened when we read Paul saying that. 
saying, well, you don't need to go through all of that stuff. So then it's like, oh, well, then that's all I have to do. Well, then you miss out on the rest of the rest of the gospel. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But isn't that so powerful that he cut a covenant with someone who who's not? The circumcision hasn't happened. The law has Exodus hasn't come. Mount Sinai hasn't happened. So the instructions have not been written down. I'm not saying that the instructions weren't there. We're going to get to that. But the instructions have not been written down, and it was attributed to him as righteousness. This is a powerful chapter for us to understand, not so that we can walk in it, but so we can understand what's going to happen to Judah. Does that make sense? It is through us that Judah's going to come alive. It is through us that we provoke Judah, our elder brother, to jealousy, to come in to the remnant. If we don't understand this, then we will fall trapped to replacement theology. Out with them, out with out with Judah, in with the church. It's the same thing as out with Avraham, in with Moshe. Out with Moshe, in with David, da- Davidic mm-hmm. covenant. Out with Davidic, now we've got Yeshua. Okay, Yeshua is because. Yeah. Not in place of, it was the fulfillment of a promise given to Avraham. That's the beginning. He said, through you. It, he, through you, Avram, all nations will be blessed. You cannot separate the Messiah from the father of Abraham. Yeah. Because it's through him. All nations in him is Jew and Gentile. So we have to understand this when Paul's talking so we can understand, number one, where do we stand what does that look like for us? But then number two, what does that look like for what's to come, which is our elder brother coming in? And if it's replacement, we've missed that whole part, and we say it's done. So this is our this is this is our this is our uh, uh, common ground. Yeah. This is our original intent. This is the cutting of the covenant. This covenant it is the foundation because the Messiah even. For us, it gives us access but causes division because Judah doesn't accept the Messiah. So the com- the common ground is this, the cornerstone, which we know points to the Messiah. But if you don't understand that, you'll operate in replacement theology and you'll oppress that and they won't understand that the Messiah is actually part of that. But if you do away with that and operate only in the Messiah, now you've just caused division and now there's no there's no hope. Am I making sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I'm like kind of going. It's good. I'm going in a different direction. But, okay. I want to talk about believe for a little bit because there is a difference. Dang it. <laughs> Guys, we have so much. Um, there is a difference. So a lot of people think that, um, that Abram was faithful to the Lord. And because he was faithful, he gained favor. And in that favor, he was then given righteousness. That is not that word belief. It's not even that he was faithful to, to Yahweh. That word believe is not faith. He wasn't faithful to him by his works. He believed in him. The difference is, is believing in God is different than believing God. Just one little preposition. Believing in God is different than believing God. Let me give you an example. Oops. 
Sorry, guys. I got it. Um, I'm just going to read this really quick, and it's super... But someone, now I'm going to get into the faith, but I'm talking about believe, because there is a difference between believing in God and believing God, okay? But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe. So the demons believe in God. So believing in God and believing God is different. Believing that he is one, believing that he is God, demons do that. What, what Abram had done was he believed God. He believed in his character. He believed in his nature. He believed in his word. He believed in his promises. He believed, he believed who he was, and that's what counted him righteous. So I just want to make sure that um, we talk about that because ultimately what was happening there is he wasn't faithful to him, but he trusted him, and he relied on him. To be fully rely on and completely and utterly dependent upon Yahweh is that kind of belief. It's good. Now, you may say, yeah, that's obvious. To be utterly dependent on Yahweh. Well, this is where faith and works comes into play. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to try to explain um, what I feel. Yahweh is pointing out in this uh, Torah portion. We still have to get to the covenant. Um, because I want us to understand what believe meant. So, obviously we read 1 John that said you're a liar if you don't follow his commandments. Okay, so you have, you have to do the work. But then there's also scripture that says, um, I mean, I can read it right here. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor. It's actually due to him. But the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Okay, what? <laughs> so what, how I want to break this down is... Faith and works are two separate things. I feel like this is super obvious, but I, I feel like it's going to untwist some things. Faith and works are two separate, like completely separate things. You, your faith is completely and utterly the opposite of works. It's, it's the absolute it, it, what faith is or what Avram was doing was I am relying on you or I believe in I believe you what made him righteous was he took all of his self out of the equation I have nothing I am utterly and completely relying and dependent on you and you alone that is faith I have nothing I bring nothing to the table. I, have, I, I am completely dependent on you. It is you, you set the sun in motion. If you don't, I'm out. I am, I am 100% completely and totally dependent on you. That's faith. That is what makes you righteous. Is none of you. Completely and totally dependent on him and none of you. When you are dependent on him, 
and he counts you as righteous. This is where it gets good. He gave Avram the fullness of his righteousness because Yahweh is outside of time, gave him the fullness of his righteousness right then and there in a moment. In order for him to grow into the character of the full stature of who he's to be. But the fullness of his righteousness was given to him in the beginning. Philippians talks about this. It's like, it's like the great flip. We think I have to work to become righteous. No. He gives you the fullness of your righteousness so that you're empowered to walk in the full stature of who you are in Yeshua. But because he's outside of time, he sees you in your fullness and attributes it to you because you believed. Because you believed in the Son. You believed in a future thing. You believed in God. You believed God. And what he said was that whatever is to come is going to crush the enemy, even though I don't have it now. And because I believe and I am utterly and completely dependent on you, I have n none of myself can create a Messiah. Abraham was 75. At this point, he's about uh, 85. He could not have a child. There was nothing he could do to fulfill the promise that Yahweh had given to him a couple chapters back. There's nothing he could do. He could not make Sarah pregnant. She was, she was a little younger, but could not make her pregnant. So he believes in the word. All of heaven's righteousness, we just got introduced to Melech Zadok, the king of righteousness, the chancellor, the one who came with the bread and the wine, who got a tenth of everything Abraham had. I'm pretty sure he's wealthy. Everything that is owned in heaven, the righteousness that was given to him, all of it right then and there because he believed. None of him, all Yahweh. Does it make sense? To empower him in order to do the work. Because works and faith are completely separate. That's why it says, that's why it can say, without works, faith is dead. If you, let me say it this way. If you're not doing the work, you probably are righteous. <laughs> but does that, does, that, does that make sense what I'm saying? Not because you had to do the work, but because if you're not doing the work, then you probably weren't counted righteousness because you didn't believe. Because you would only be empowered to do the work if you believed and were counted righteous. It's the proof. <laughs> yeah, Which scripture good. was it that said the proof? I remember okay. reading it. I can't remember. There's a scripture, now I'm not going to be able to find it, but there's a scripture that says, um, I think it wasn't, wasn't it? it's in James. Let me go back to James. Okay, now this, hopefully this is going to get untw untwisted here. So James 2.19. Okay, let's revisit this. But, some, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, the demons do that. 
But do you want to know, you empty person, that faith without works is dead? Wasn't Abraham, our father, proved righteousness by his works when he offered up Isaac? Okay, you could read that and be like, that's totally contradictory than everything that just was said in the Torah portion. Because this is saying he was proved righteous by his works. But that word isn't that he was given righteousness. Read it right. He was proved righteous. He was already given righteousness before. But in order to prove your righteousness, you got to do the work. Does that make sense? So, so you can't read that, that, oh, well, if Abraham, our father, proved righteous by the works when he offered up Isaac, you see the faith work together with his works. His faith worked together, and by the works, his faith, his faith was made complete. What that's saying there is that it's two separate things, and because of his righteousness, he was able to prove that he was righteous by his works, but he wasn't proved righteous and given righteous because that's not what the scripture says. It's like this. If I say I'm saved and, I've been, uh, and I believe, how is he going to know that I believe if I'm not operating in the righteousness of that? He would not know. It would be self-proclaimed. So that's what that proof there means, to prove the righteousness. Does that make sense? But not being proved righteous. He was, he was given righteousness. He was reckoned righteousness, not proved righteous. He didn't have to prove righteousness. He was reckoned and given. He was calculated, and it was counted to him as righteousness because he believed and believed alone. Later on, we see that his lifestyle lived a life out of righteousness by his works. That's why he was able to do the things he did. So hopefully that kind of untwists a little bit between faith and works. All right. And that's where the two sides come, at least when I'm reading in the scriptures, that I want us all to understand that we're fully dependent on him, and then because we're dependent on him, it causes us to walk a certain way not the other way around. This over again, because we came out of a system that says that you do all of those things to gain. This is the epitome of from the cross, not to the cross. Yeah. yeah. This is what that means. Well, now not just from the cross and to the cross, we have Avraham as the father that shows us what that actually looks like because there was nothing to follow yet. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. We're going to get into the covenant. Um, and I'm sure that you guys, I'm sure that you guys know this. Um, so hopefully this isn't redundant, but, but in ancient times, covenant cutting was a thing in order to make a covenant or ratify a covenant or to, um, to have a covenant, this ancient practice is where you get animals and cut them in half and you put them on either side of an aisle and you walk through the dead animals. That was a common practice. So when Yahweh told him, go get these animals, he knew what he was supposed to do with them because that was a, that was a practice. He knew that a covenant was about to, to happen. Now, the interesting thing is, remember when I said that the instructions haven't been made yet, but the instructions were known? He asked him to get these specific animals. Later on, you're going to find out that those animals are, sanct are, are sanctified for sacrifice. So again, just a powerful thing that Yahweh is so strategic that before Mount Sinai, he's telling him what animals are sufficient for a sacrifice. That should be important to us 
because Yahweh is, is our sufficient sacrifice. And so, again, there's, there's these arcing. It's not chronological, but it, I mean, it is chronological, but it's also arcing because he's talking about a sacrifice all the way to the Messiah where there's a sacrifice. So, I just wanted to point that out, that those animals are going to be in Leviticus at some point, and we're going to learn about that. But for now, we just know that they were what Yahweh asked him to do. So, um, when he, the purpose of cutting animals and putting them on either side and walking down the aisle is for the purpose of saying, when you go down the aisle, may I be like one of these animals if I don't hold up my side of the covenant. So the concept is, is it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sacrifice, but it's, um, it, it's a way to show that it takes two sides to create this covenant, and if one does not uphold their end, you will be dead and cut in half like that one. So, and Avram at the time knew that that's what that meant because that's what they were doing in that time to cut covenants. So Yahweh tells him to do this, so he immediately knows a covenant is going to come, and we're going to have to uphold the, our side of the covenant when we walk when we walk through this aisle. Okay, so. He gets the animals, he prepares them, and then this is what I wanted to talk about. Where, so he brought all these to him and cut them in half and put each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of, then the birds of prey, also vultures, came down upon the carcasses, but um, Avram uh, drove them away. All right, that one sentence right there is super powerful because think about what, Abraham was just doing. He just was told that there's a promise. Right? He just told he was just told that a son is coming. Then he says, in order to solidify that, we're going to make a covenant. And he immediately moves in action. He goes and he gets the animals and he does it and he prepares for a covenant ceremony. And in, so think about you, right? He gives you a promise. 10 years later, you're asking him how he's going to do it. And he basically says, I'm going to perform a ceremony that tells you that I am going to hold up my end of the, of the, of the contract. I'm going to hold up my end of the covenant. He knows what that means. He's probably like, yeah. And immediately he begins to set up this ceremony and vultures start coming at his sacrifice. What I see with that is remember when he talked about the crows? These vultures are not kosher. They're defiled animals, and they, they, they love dead things. They are, they are um, I mean, I guess for lack of better words, they're experts in dead things. But think about this in the spirit as I'm saying it. When you lay out your sacrifice, you lay out, you, you, have, you have moved to action based on the promise. You're preparing all of that. Your job then is to, is to um, what did he what did it say? Drive them away. You have to drive them away. They are after that dead thing. You're not going to be able to st stop them. That's their nature is to come after the dead things. And he he decided to to drive them away. Is that making sense? Like we're going to have to do what it takes to to safeguard the the covenant and the ceremony that's prepared before us because there's something that's after that thing. And you're going to have, because you have to understand that if the vultures had touched the carcasses, then those would have been defiled. It would not have been a proper sacrifice. 
So he had to drive away anything that would defile the sacrifice that Yahweh asked him to do. So think about it. Um, there's a couple things I want us to point out. Vultures, they come in your waiting. So obviously he's waiting. But even just the ceremony alone, he's trying to figure out how the heck we're going to walk down this aisle together with Yahweh. He tells him to do this, and he's looking at the animals cut in half, and he's trying to figure out what are we going to do. And it's in the waiting that the vultures decide to try to defile your obedience. The vultures can sniff out sacrifices, and they threaten to defile or steal it. Remember, those sacrifices were an act of obedience that, 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 that Abram had went to go get to, to prepare. So there are vultures that want to pry on your obedience in your waiting for Yahweh to show up. What we have obediently devoted ourselves to is what we have to drive. We have to drive the vultures away because what we're doing is we're safeguarding what we've been obedient to. Does that make sense? You've got to drive them away. And when you do, the um, it will pay itself off. So being alert and being on guard is what I just saw in that one sentence. Because why would he add that? And then the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. I mean, I just, I want us to read the word just so intentionally that that one sentence is for you. Because, you know, as we've talked about, even inserting yourself into the scriptures, what what is it that I have to drive away this week? What is it that yeah. is after mm -hmm. that sacrifice or that devoted place of um, obedience while I'm waiting, while I'm waiting. And this is always after the, the vultures could have come prior to the promise. He just promises. This is how it's going to be done. Let me prove it to you. Now the mm -hmm. vultures show up. Yeah. That's when they show up. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, I'm not going to probably get too much into that rest of that. Um, Uh, I think that that might be the only other thing that I wanted to talk about for us to understand with the cutting of the covenant is that there's something that it's arcing with with our place of worship because there's something about the burning torch and the, the um, pot in the cloud. So think about the temple that's coming, the brazen altar, the burning of the sacrifice, the sweet aroma. There's this place of worship that's coming that he's speaking to in this place of covenant. So we don't have a whole lot of time to get into it, but when you're wanting to study that, um, you can start to see what was happening during this covenant ceremony with the place of worship. The other thing that is super cool um, that I had read was that it it wouldn't be right if where you always have two witnesses. So that's why there was two aspects of Yahweh that walked down that walked down between the animals. So there was there's a witness, meaning it needs to be confirmed by two or three. So that was super powerful for me to read. But just to kind of know that there's more with all of that. You guys know that Yahweh shows up with the fire and the smoke. We know about the wilderness. We know the pillar of smoke, the cloud, the cloud. We know about that Mount Sinai with the cloud. We know about the burning bush. He shows up in those things. Yahweh himself is the one that was walking through the covenant. All right. So the main powerful thing about all of that is that. Abraham is in a deep sleep. 
It's the same sleep that they put uh, that Yahweh put Adam in. So he has a vision, and I I personally believe that you know how Yahweh shows up. He's like, I am your shield, and then in this one he shows it in like a dream. Well, it's kind of a harsh. Like I feel like if I was him, I would have been like, well then I don't want kids. Because he's like, and then you're going to be in captivity for 400 years, and it'll be the fourth generation that comes back. You'll be like, mm. So I just thought it was interesting that he's in a deep sleep because, I mean, it's the rough thing. I mean, Adam was like torn apart. He was torn in half to build something. So then he puts him to sleep and is like, and then your generations are. But I want to point something out. He said the reason for this is because the iniquity of the um, um, Amorites, am I saying that right? Has not been done. Do you guys remember who the descend, who uh, the Amorites' parents are? Ham. So go back to Noah and what I was talking about with uncovering a father and what came out of that. So when Yahweh's saying that the iniquity of the uh, uh, Amorites is not done, you can begin to see who were those people and why is he talking about them. So, anyways, I just thought that that was interesting. So when I read the word, I'll be like, okay, well, then who are the Amorites and why does this matter? And I just thought that that was interesting because we're talking about the other bloodline outside of um, Abram. Um, yeah, I'm not going to get into the land. You guys can study this, but there is a powerful concept that he made it in the covenant, very specific, the land borders. That's a that's a um, an ancient thing that was going on. And it has to do with a king, and it has to do with the fact that it uh, once land is given to a vessel, um, once a king basically in in um, in a promise does that, there's nothing they can do. It's irrevocable. It's theirs forever. Super important for us to know because that land he's talking about is Israel, and so we know that the story is not done until Israel. So all of Judah comes all the way back. Well, that's why, because it's still theirs. So there's some powerful things that are happening in there because it make it it means something that he lines out every landmark because what he's doing, what what it's called, is a great king, um, uh, a great king uh, land treaty. It's a delineating the nations, and it was something that they did. It was called the land grant treaty. And what it means is, is when a king says, I promise you this land, it means that no matter what happens, it's always yours forever. Now, the reason why this is super important is because the covenant was one-sided. The only one that walked through the animals was Yahweh. So I'm sure Abraham was thinking he was going to be walking through to hold up his end of the covenant. What this is showing us is all of this is completely and utterly dependent on Yahweh and Yahweh alone to fulfill it. It was not, it's not dependent on him, on, on Abraham. So when we say, like, how powerful is it that when you walk through those animals, if I don't hold up my end of the covenant, I'll be like them. Yahweh said, I'll take on all of that. And now you understand a little bit about the sacrifice of Yeshua and what was happening when he was broken in half. Does that make sense? So this covenant up to this point is not up to this point is completely and utterly one sided. So when we're talking about covenant, you don't make a covenant with Yahweh. You get to enter into it, but it's dependent solely on him, not on man. Which brings us to humility, because if it's not you, it'll be someone else. Hmm. 
Like he will, he will search the world for the ones that will, will walk that way because it's not dependent. That's what I mean by getting rid of self. It's not dependent on you. If it was, man would have messed up everything up. Yahweh said, nope, I don't want this dependent on anyone. I am going to do what I'm going to, I am going to bring about the seed. But because we get to enter into that covenant with him, we're empowered to be an ambassador by being completely dependent on him and being an ambassador for what he wants on the earth and extend it through him. Does that make sense? So that that's why I mean you got to go all the way down one road that it's all him, but then in the end he wants to use you, but there's a humility to it because he'll use anyone. So it's all him, but then because it's all him, we get to. And so this this um, this Torah portion essentially brings us to what we're going to see with the Messiah, how it is completely and utterly all on Yahweh, all on the Messiah, which is the same thing when Paul talks about works and faith and believing that it is only because of Yeshua. It is a one-sided covenant. It is all because of Yeshua that you have access to all of this. I mean, for real now. I mean, I know we've known that, but like for real. We did not understand, we didn't think we needed any of these instructions. We didn't even need the Father. So for real now, you do not have access to any of this other than through Him. Yeah. Because the Torah, I feel like my mind is just like. Before the Messiah, the Torah was the only thing that they had in order to be able to try to walk righteous. That's why the curse fell when they didn't walk in it right. Because of the Messiah, we get to walk in it. But you have been freed from the curse of not not being able to. So it's one-sided. But one-sided doesn't mean stamp of approval to be and do whatever we want because he'll just do it all. That's what I want to I want to get at this this multidimensional gospel of partnership. It's like there is an aspect that if it was not for him, I would not be married. Essentially, it's all him. Cuz without him, I'd be single. So literally I am utterly and completely dependent on a husband. I cannot be a wife without a husband. I am I cannot bring wife to the table. I can bring daughter, I can bring awesomeness, I can bring some I I cannot bring wife. Does that make sense? To be declared a wife, I have to act like one. I am completely dependent on having a husband to be a wife. But because I have a husband, I'm empowered to walk like a wife. So I can prove that I'm actually a wife. That was good. That was good. <laughs> Outside, if I'm walking around and he's not with me, I want people to know I'm still a wife. Come on now. But I can't be self-wife. It's still completely and utterly dependent on having a husband. 
but I have to walk worthy of being a wife. And he's showing us what this looks like when Abraham is declared righteous because he's utterly and completely dependent on being righteous in a system to be righteous to. But as you watch his life walk out, he has to be he has to prove himself righteous to the very system that he is in covenant with. Right? So So when the vultures come after our obedient ceremony <laughs> like this is literally like she is preaching the foundation of your faith like the foundation of our faith is I mean we're going to have to chew on this for like when you when you get confronted with what I'm about to talk about, you need to come back to this. Um, I just want to quickly just try to add a couple things. <laughs> that there, you weren't lying when you said like eight sermons. That's I feel like we. Could I didn't just... even tap into the forgiveness part. <laughs> So I want you guys to write a few things down. Um, and we're going to... I want to take this Torah portion in terms of covenant and take a step back and look at the span of Scripture. And I want you to write down continuity of covenant. Because this is what is one thing that the identity that we carry and the, the path that we walk on is going to attract an attack on covenant by saying that what she spoke to that there's a new there's a new covenant quote unquote new covenant that replaces the old ones that is the assault on the continuous nature of covenant in the word yeah it all builds upon itself. It's all one thread intertwined throughout Scripture. All of these covenants are continuous. Okay? That would... Sorry. We see that played out where it's okay to just be like, I'll just get a new one. Come on. Right? <laughs> right? Yep. Christianity as a system... Antinomian Christianity, yes. meaning Christianity that is against the law, yes. <clears throat> is proclaiming faith in a son but denying the seed. That's everything she just said. You're pro proclaiming the mature son, but right. you're denying the seed form of that same son. It's paradoxical. It would be like you going back in time... Mm -hmm. To kill your father as a baby. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Mm -hmm. That's what Christianity is doing. Because if you do that, then you don't exist anymore. Right? But, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like if I go back in time and I kill my father as a baby, then I'm not here to go back in time and kill my father. So... The existence that you're proclaiming doesn't 
It doesn't make any sense. Because you're proclaiming a mature thing, but you're, you're, you're abolishing the law and the prophets and the Torah. You're doing away with all of it. You can't. So these are the, when I say continuity of covenant, there's, there's other covenants that you could articulate, but these are the main ones. There's Noah, Abraham, Moshe, David, and Yeshua representing what many people would call the new covenant. So, and this is just an overgeneralization. With Noah, you have preservation. With Abraham, you have redemption. Hold on. Preservation. So the Noahide covenant is preservation. You could say it's characterized by preservation. The Abrahamic covenant is characterized by redemption. The Mosaic covenant brought about the nation of Israel. You could think further into it. There's an exodus from one form of government to kingdom government, the perfect law of liberty. There's the Davidic covenant, which speaks to an eternal kingly priesthood. kingly priesthood. And then you have the messianic covenant, which is what right most of Christianity would call the quote-unquote new covenant because it somehow replaces or abolishes or does away with everything that preceded Yeshua. But Yeshua is... He's the fulfillment of all of those things. In Yeshua is all of those covenants. Every, all covenant, all those aspects of covenant are in Yeshua. That's why he's the fulfillment. That's why he said, I came to fulfill, right? He was essentially, he, he is preservation. He is redemption. He is your new identity. Right? He is the king and the priest. He's, he's the vessel that brings the blessing of Abraham to the whole world. So, how, so how, think about when I was talking about equipping, everything that mom preached on from this Torah portion, we have to understand that the covenants of Yahweh are continuous right it's not this is a new one replacing that one now we get another one that replaces that one Yeshua replaced all of them that that is replacement theology because you're doing away with the very things that were Yeshua in seed form um, And the other thing that mom talked about, this would be the last thing, is that these covenants, back in this time, you have to understand the context of those covenants she referred to, that the typical ratification of those covenants, the, 
the thing that formalized it or sanctioned it, confirmed it, the thing that solidified those covenants between two parties was partaking of blood. Both parties would partake of the blood of whatever the sacrifice was. And so in that way, when you understand that these covenants were building upon each other and they're continuous, then you begin to understand that Yeshua was the ratification by the spilling of his blood. And when we do communion and we partake of his blood, that is the solidification of all of those covenants in him. Yeah. And with each covenant comes blessings and cursings. Which is a powerful thing because it's it's not a it's not a side deal. You get Yeshua and then you get a couple of blessings. You from 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 Abraham. Like you, you are an heir to everything to everything that's given throughout all of it. I mean, there is a lot of blessings attached to the, uh, what did you say, Abrahamic covenant, mm -hmm. you know. And so, if it's in Him, you're receiving, you're, you're just, you're, you're able to receive all that. That's part of the inheritance, that great inheritance or that great reward that comes. Is it's not just like you can't replace things for convenience. That's what I was getting at earlier. You can't replace things and say, oh well, that feels good, so I don't have to do this, but I want to gain all this. Because everything in him is the fulfillment of that, so then you get to receive all of that. But if you claim receiving all of that, then you've got to walk that way as well. And we see that all the time where it says pick and choosing. Well, I want that part of the covenant, and then he means I get that part of the covenant, and because he came here, I get that part. And then you're like picking and choosing different aspects of it versus recognizing he's the fulfillment of it all. And Avraham is, is why, is part of, a huge part of the reason why let this affirm our identity as Hebrews right because in him was both Jew and Gentile there was no separation in him they weren't made yet so <laughs> I'm gonna just I want to leave you guys with a little bit of homework because I really want us to hone in on the works and faith in this whole thing because I didn't touch on this because I talked about believe but there's an aspect in, uh, if you look at your Torah portion, there's half Torah and then there's the apostles. Uh, Romans is part of the Torah portion. If you go through that, Paul is giving commentary in Romans about Psalms. And in his commentary, he's equating righteousness to forgiveness. So insert everything that I just said about what righteousness means with believe, also with forgiveness. So remember when I said all that Avraham was in his righteousness was given to him because he believed. It also was given to him because the forgiveness is attached to that. So believing, so it's, it's almost like the same thing as saying that by faith or being reckoned righteous is being is 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 equivalent to being forgiven that's why we can say we're fully forgiven in the fullness because he's outside of time so he takes your full stature and gives you the fullness of righteousness because it's the same thing as being forgiven but then what does that mean to you it's easier to see it that way yeah. than works what are you going to do be forgiven and then and then just keep doing it 
right? right, right. You're empowered because you're forgiven to walk worthy of that forgiveness, which means yeah. you don't sin. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. It's He didn't have to do anything to be forgiven. The fullness was given to him, and then he's empowered to walk like he's forgiven. So just if you want to, if you want to get in that study, that believe is also the same. Uh, Paul is giving commentary in Psalms when David talks about being reckoned under righteousness is the same thing as uh, being forgiven of your sin. That was good. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomairsflag.org. Thank you.